0: welcome to our podcast here at hope united church to access the live stream of our services along with other resources and information please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk well tonight i want to do something a bit different as we sometimes do in these things and I want to be talking to you about and I I, I re- I've got that much stuff here. This I need I need a John MacArthur size pulpit. This is no big enough. His is massive. Probably for all the stuff that comes up at the ground, no, it's amazing. Just <laughs> and back down again, it's great. It's no prosperity, it's just excellent. Uh I'm sure people will think it's prosperity, but it's not. But I want us to stay draw on uh Maybe a Puritan you've not heard before, a Callum spoke of, and we're doing this in Faithful Men, as we do, uh, we've been doing on Sunday night, and I was talking to the guys, and they see the guy's name, didn't they? And we're in there, and we're like, who, who is he? And you know, and it's, it's, there's no even an introduction, presuming that he's a law known. So I say to the guys each time, you have to tease who the guy's going to be before you reveal who he is. You know, boom, Richard Cameron, he's a like, lot who? You know, and then they eventually get here. but I'm loving that. And uh, tonight, as we do doing these, these uh, meetings, and we're calling them prayer meetings, devotional meetings, uh, we draw on a Puritan, predominantly a Puritan teaching, but not necessarily. We draw on Spurgeon, but he could be known as the last great Puritan, or the last of the Puritans, maybe Spurgeon would be known as. But uh, we draw on this. Tonight is going to be no different. Uh, and I'm going to be reading and talking on uh, and sharing much of the, 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 the instruction from Jeremiah Burroughs. Jeremiah Burroughs, you may not have heard him, born in 1599, died in 1649. He was part of them who wrote, believe it or not, the Westminster Confession of Faith. And was known as the Morning Star of Stepney. That's his, Or where he preached in London, but he also preached there. And I, if any of you have heard of this, the Cripplegate was another place where they would preach. He was a non-conformist. So that means that to be a non-conformist means that he would not conform to the teachings where the Church of England were forcing, some of the stuff that Callum was speaking about on Sunday, where the Church of England was forcing things and how you operate and how you do services and the common book of prayer and different stuff. And Burroughs was one of the men who who stood against that and was exiled during the time he was exiled and went to Rotterdam and, and uh, Holland where he preached where many did, again Callum mentioned us, where he went and preached and then he come back again, but he was he was known as a, a real peacemaker, although he was a nonconformist conformist and he stood against things, including some of the, the politics in the Presbyterian church at the time, uh, He was also a great peacemaker, and he was known as a peacemaker, bringing peace amongst the people. As I said, he also preached at the Cripplegate. If you ever go there, it's still in London, you can visit it and you can go to the Cripplegate. A lot of the men who were non-conformists and were put out of the church ended up standing. Callum talked about field preachers, no, meaning they preached in the field. I was just egging them on to say that word, no, but uh, in case you thought it was some other concept. But he, they preached in the, So he preached in the streets as well, where they were they were eh, removed from. But the Cripplegate eh, in London it was also a church there, and eh, without gate they would call it because it was out with the gates that they would preach. But anyway, that's, 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 that's that doesn't matter. But anyway, he he would preach there, and as many of them did at the time. John Owen would preach preach there. Thomas Watson, eh, Thomas Brooks, some of the great. Puritans would preach there, but Burroughs preached in the morning and that's why he was known as the morning star. And then I think it was William Gurnell, he preached it in the an afternoon, he was called the evening star. Just amazing really. But in, in much of Burroughs writing, he writes this phenomenal, and I want to give you a background in this, and this is why it might not seem like a prayer meeting. We're going to be in this for a few weeks, okay? Now, I, I want to tell you, you know, just to confess that this is the this is what I wanted to go into with the whole church. I wanted to preach, and I, I'll tell you what happened. This is true. Uh, before we decided to go through Corinthians, I wanted to preach through the holy this, the book of Hosea. That's the book I wanted to preach on, and I spoke to the elders, particularly Fraser, and Fraser. I believe no on the depth of Hosea at the time. This sounds like I'm dead critically, these guys. He didn't. No. But he was like, why do you want to preach in Hosea? I says, because I love it. He's like, hmm. And then we made a decision in prayer. And I, me and my submissive nature. <laughs> went with the elders and decided to preach on 1 Corinthians. So because I never got my own way, I'm getting it now. <laughs> <coughs> uh, this is a massive work, look at it, this is massive, and just to let you, know, the reason I don't normally bring it, but it's, it's four sections, it's like a bible, so it's in four, the writing's tiny, I need a magnifying glass to read it, a strong, strong glassy, so it's huge, it's absolutely huge, and Isaiah's only 14 chapters, this is an absolute colossal work by Jeremiah Burroughs, uh, you think of the Puritan writings, John Owen, a million and a half words, 1.5 million words in his commentary in Hebrews. 1.5 million words in his commentary in Hebrews. William Cornell, the other guy that I mentioned there, or Grinnell, he wrote three quarters of a million words on Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. That's three quarters of a million words on expounding the armour of God. Three quarters of a million words. Now, I I don't know if any of you want to make this a a labour and tell me how many words are in this. Because I was searching. In this, it tells you this, how many words it was wrote. But it doesn't tell you how many words are in this. But I I reckon there's over a million. Over a million words wrote here in this alone. Uh, Burroughs' work is not just vast here, let me say. It's also very, very unique, and this is another reason why I love this, this is the, the, This book I've got is quite rare uh, This is quite rare Excuse me, just, do you want to get a drink of water? Could you like a drink of water? You got one? Alright, no it's okay, as long as you've got one that's alright You're not putting me off, it's just you, I've just for your sake uh, But, so, so he's, It's not just a vast work It's not just a vast work it's, it's, it's very unique and this is where I, I think you might get excited about, I, I have, I've been studying just for this alone about 12-14 hours alone just in this, I it's just astounding and I've got through one whole verse. Uh, the reason it's so unique at the time uh, for Puritan writers, commentaries, and this is called a commentary of the prophecy of Isaiah by Jeremiah Burroughs. What makes it unique as a commentary is, is purely commentaries would would read line upon line and then they would expound line upon line. That's, uh, almost every commentary you read is just line upon line and there's no, nothing missed out, okay? Uh, And it's purely systematic and theological and they get through line upon line and it's a commentary as most commentaries are today. Burroughs broke ground and he even is willing to share his error. He's very humble. because he simply could not keep, uh, he could not stop relating what he was expounding in Hosea with what was happening in the times in the church. And just because he was a pastor, he just could not stop getting off the text, as it were. Now, he's not getting off the piece here. He's just, he's just burrowing in. That's, pardon the pun. Right, he's, he's delving right. I, I didn't even mean to say that. It's not even funny, but I didn't mean to say that. Anyway, he's, no, he's delving into the depths of these uh, teachings and these wonderful words from Isaiah and he couldn't he help bringing himself to the point of view that he birthed like in a new commentary almost reluctant to call it a commentary because really this is just these sermons we're only really reading this is just these sermons and he doesn't he just share verse by verse alone as commentaries do and this is what made it groundbreaking at the time this is what made honestly this was music to my ears it made me feel a lot better about my type of preaching but it's not about me but this is what Burroughs writes at the start to explain it about he writes this you have in these lectures as they were from me preaching I pursued the notes so what, what he's saying is here I went into the notes after it to try and make it better and make it more accurate like a commentary is what he's saying so he says, I pursued the notes but could not bring the style to the succinctness that I desired. Except I had to write every note again. Which I didn't have any time for. He adds this. My pursuit was but cursory. Therefore, many things have slipped me. What he's saying is because he was teaching and he was getting so passionate about what he was writing. And what he was reading and studying about Hosea. There were even verses he skipped and didn't he give as much detail verse upon, didn't he give as much detail verse upon verse, right? Didn't he give as much detail verse upon verse about what he was writing? So therefore, it, was, it's, it makes a commentary very different from what commentaries were at that time. And then he says this, you have a name as I preached them, without any considerable alterations, I had thought it would have been Far briefer, but as I met with many things almost in every lecture so nearly concerning present times this is eight hundred years before Christ. This it caused me to go something beyond an expository way. He then humbly concludes and says, In the remaining part of the prophecy, the book, if God gives life to go through it, I shall keep myself more closely. To the exposition. He concludes, "What you have here, then, and this is how he talks. And it? it's for no. What you have here, then, he's quite funny. I, he's one of the guys that's quite funny. Does he need to be funny? So, what you have here, then, and he's—you'll he's, he's, uh, hear it as we get through it. Just take it as you find it. What good you meet with, receiving it. This will be the encouragement of thy friend, I mean, he's in Christ." J.B. Jeremiah Burroughs. Burroughs never did get to finish this book. He died some time before that. Uh, He died, he he fell off a horse actually. And then he was bedded up. And he died within a couple of weeks. We don't know if it was because he fell off the horse that he died. Or if it was... The plague, we don't know how he died, but such was his heart to preach everywhere. Uh, A bit like George Whitfield, he's on the back of the horse riding and going to preach here, there and everywhere. Uh, He never got to finish it. Burroughs actually only put together himself the first three chapters. Okay, there's 14 chapters in this here. He only put together the first three himself. However, from chapter 4 to 10, Other Puritans, this is never known. Other Puritans, Thomas Goodwin, William Bridge, others of such, got a whole day all of Burrough's sermons that he done on us, and all his letters and everything that he wrote on Isaiah, and painstakingly wrote the rest of it. And they tell you in it, not one part of it is not Burroughs. Which is an amazing thing that these Puritan men. These clever, educated men. Busy stalwarts of the faith themselves. Thought so highly of Burroughs. That they painstakingly went through his writings. In order for them to be added to this work. Here is what they say about him. This is coming from revered and highly respected Puritans. So you get how they thought about Burroughs. They first tell us that they can honestly vow that every content is from Burroughs Notes. They say this about the man, I think this speaks volumes. This is what they write. The worthy author was one of the most accurate spectators of his time. That with a curious and searching eye beheld what God was doing in the world. He's one of those wise men who knew the times. The only chapter that is not used in Borough's writings is the last one. Part of 13th and 14th, where it's uh, Bishop Reynolds from Norwich. Many of the Puritans came from that area. East Anglia was massive for Puritan. No. Near Cambridge. Near near Cambridge, no. If you ever get to go to Cambridge, go visit it. Go to Emmanuel College. They've, they all went there. No, they all. John O, the, the, well, I don't know if one went. Many of them went there Many of the great Puritans went, went there and, uh, But Bishop Reynolds of Norwich was another Puritan And he finished the book But, but you think of the effort and the men went through to, to find these letters and put them all together And make sure that what he had wrote and what he had said Was able to come through uh, I'm sure let me know you want to delve in Of course we won't be going through it all Although I want to I really do, maybe this will be the next book we get through in a couple of years' time when we finish Corinthians, but I'd like to over the next few meetings, eh, at least give us a taste from it. I mean, the hardest bit will be what you leave out. However, we're going to start with a prayer from one of our Puritan prayer books. Unfortunately, it's predominantly the one that you don't have because it's Pierce in Heaven, and the reason I'm picking this is because this is the one where it tells us the names. So I've picked a Jeremiah Burroughs prayer, I couldn't have done that for the Valley of Vision because we don't know who wrote what. So this is from Jeremiah Burroughs and it's I will wait for you to lead me is the name of the prayer. It's in page 29 of this Pearson Heaven Prayers of the Puritans. It goes, Lord, I am hungry for righteousness but I cannot find it. And I hope this will be my concern forever. Whatever becomes of me I will reject unrighteousness. I pray that I will not meddle with it. And with, and will have nothing to do with it. Through your mercy I hope to keep that prayer forever in my heart. Lord, if there be but one drop of mercy in me to show pity to others. Is there not an infinite ocean of mercy in you? Isn't that beautiful? And Lord, you who know the secrets of all hearts. You know the desire of my soul. To know your will. Whatever help you make known to me. I am ready to make use of it. That I may not be led aside into error. And if you are pleased to reveal your mind further to me. I am ready to submit to it. I would count it greater happiness than all the comforts of the world can afford. Simply to know your mind. But Lord as yet I cannot do this thing without sinning against you. You know it. Yet you also know that I want to walk humbly and peaceably with others. In all meekness, submissiveness and quietness of spirit. I will wait until you further reveal your mind to me. Your light will turn my spirit the way you want it to go. Amen. And I believe that is the desire for every believer. We want to do the will of God. We want to serve God. We want to please him. I believe we do. I don't believe a true believer ever doesn't want that. I think... The heart of your believer wants to please God. But often we don't because of our weakness. Okay, I, I'm going to read verse 1 here of Hosea 1. There's almost nothing in it. There is, is, as you read it, there's almost nothing in it. Burroughs writes, um, I'm, uh, you need to see this, I need to show you this, just, just to show you. I know it doesn't seem a lot. That's where he he writes. That book, look. But it's hundreds. It must be about twenty thousand words at least on this. This is this is uh, Hosea one verse one. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Bera. in the days of Isaiah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. That's it. Now what I'm going to share the rest of the night is, mostly in drawing some parallels as we do, I'm going to share a lot of what Jeremiah Burroughs says about that. And it's utterly mind-blowing about what he says about that. But what you'll hear in this, and hopefully over the next few uh, times that we speak, you start to hear the heart and how this man draws... Uh, from God's word and uh, I think the parallels in a sense, I'm not trying to compare it to how we would teach, which is really, really encouraging I think. To understand the prophets and the books that contain them is to draw much in understanding God himself. Uh, Hosea would be known as one of the minor prophets, if you don't know that. He's He's the first of the minor prophets, 12 of them. So he'd be known as the first of the minor prophets. The major prophets would be Isaiah, Uh, Jeremiah, Elisha, Elijah, Daniel. These are the major prophets, the minor prophets. They lived at the same time. You think, sometimes you read the Old Testament, you think it's uh, the spans over a million years. They lived in the same times. Hosea lived at the same time as many of these other men as well. Uh, But Burroughs knows, uh, Burroughs knows nothing in Scripture is, is no vital, important. And, and the reason Burroughs done a commentary or this sermon series on Hosea was for that reason. Uh, and no going for one of the more major prophets because everything is so valid and so important in the world. And that's what he kind of wanted to draw on. Uh, that's why he chose the minor prophets. He believed no matter the scripture, it carried such weight. He said this about scripture take away scripture. And you even take away the sun from the world. Think about that. You do. What is the world without scripture. But hell itself. End quote. How do we know even there's a sun and what it is. If it wasn't for scripture. How do we know anything. If it wasn't for scripture. And God who created it. However Burroughs in using that statement. Was making a point. Even though the sun rises and shines. Yet how often does the mist hide it. His point was, so the word not preached and taught covers the eyes and hearts of God's people. Without preaching the word, their eyes and hearts will continue to be covered and hidden. And sin will manifest. They know the sun rises. We all know the sun rises. And yet at times it's hidden. Burroughs writes, in the scripture, the great God in heaven sent his mind to the children of men who has made known the counsel of his will and opened his very heart to mankind. Just to let you know, everything I'm saying here is Burroughs exposition verse 1 here, just to let you know this is, this is, this is we've started, this is verse 1, I'm drawn what he talks about in verse 1 Hosea the prophet was sent by God as we know to the people of Israel around 800 BC 804 BC around the time of Ahaz and Hezekiah, a good king, uh, predominantly. However, Hosea was sent to the, the tribes in Israel who rebelled, who turned from God. You have Israel and you have Judah. Um, Judah, some of you that read daily Bibles will know much about this because you read daily Bibles and the Old Testament stuff. But So Israel rebelled, Judah Remain faithful, Benjamin, the household of Benjamin, XYZ. Uh, And these people turned from God and were now full of sin and wickedness. Hosea preached and prophesied for around 80 years. 80 years, a long time. Again, Burroughs draws on this by reminding us Hosea is only 14 chapters, but it took 80 years to say it. It took him 80 years to say 14 chapters. Sometimes, and Burroughs alludes, alludes to this, when he says, let the ministers of God be faithful in their work. End quote. You know, when we're no given or don't have a whole lot to say, uh, we just need to keep saying what we've got. And what happens, I think, in the church is often we get impatient and jump around wanting results. You look at the modern church today and, you know, they don't get results so they jump about and they go, oh, we're no sticking to the word because we're not getting a result Even no the pragmatic church it's always they're always starting a new incentive and something new creative and the new next big thing that's going to work some of you've been party churches and you no know, the, the minister was always coming up with the next new incentive and the next new idea and then when the, and the result maybe was okay at first but then it petered away and then oh we need to start something else and the next big incentive and we're delighted with us used to talk to a minister who's, who's passed now and some of known, you, you, you know you might not know who I'm talking about when I say this, but anyway. And he would always be starting new things and he would always start swimmingly. So there was always a big turnout in week one and then in week two, nothing. And then all the discouragement would be back because it never quite met the grade. Hosea had done the work of the Lord in good seasons and in bad. But much more in bad. Hezekiah was a good king and he came nearer the end of his life. But Jeroboam, Ahaz, they were not. Especially Jeroboam. And a lot of nothing happened during Hosea's time. No great results. Predominantly his whole life, there were no great results. Which really makes me think that the modern church is somewhere out of touch with the word. If it's no positive... It's no working. If we don't see quick results, we need to change, change the message and eventually the message is pushed aside. We can be like that also. We don't get the result. We quit. In fact, in most of his ministry, things never improved. In fact, they get worse. No unlike the day. Things are no improving. Things are no improving here. They're getting worse. What you see on television, I've just seen a clip of it, I can hardly even watch it. I think it was that Sam Smith. Did you see that? It's frightening. That's on mainstream television. That's on mainstream television what you're seeing. It's disgustingly dressed as the devil and half woman, half devil, half and oh, it's horrible. And all the Hollywood lovelies are all, I think it's wonderful. It's not unlike what's happening today, what was happening is here. Things weren't really getting better for us here, they were getting worse. Yet we see churches acting constantly like they're in perpetual blessed season. You ever see that way? The, the prosperity church, you're constantly. How are you He's too blessed to be stressed? We're blessed, we're going to the stadium, we're taking it to the stadium, we're taking our ministry to the arena. Mostly faked, mostly fake prosperity. Fake, total fake prosperity. Burroughs writes, God may continue a prophet, listen to this, God may continue a prophet a long time amongst a people, and yet they may not be converted. It is a distemper. It's a word I've been saying, I've been reading quite a lot. It's it's like a disease. Distemper would be something a, a, a dog gets. It's like a disease, an internal disease. And this is what he says, it is a distemper in a minister's heart to incline to abandon their work because... They see not a desired success. So what he's actually saying is, and this is not just for ministers, because you know we're either kings or priests. So we're, we're all called to the ministry. So what, what Burroughs is saying is, is that uh, we have to we have to be careful that the distemper or the disease in our hearts, when we feel discouraged, when we don't get a result, that it doesn't get on us. And what. What you see with Hosea is is that he never allowed the lack of result to discourage him. Or it never made him change his message. Which is happening in the church today. Or we're not seeing a result. Look at the Church of Scotland. We're not seeing a result. Numbers are declining. We'll need to just adapt. And then what we'll do is we'll embrace the world. Still declining. Actually worse than sticking to the word. And we have to then as we... If we're evangelising, helping people, teaching people, whatever it is we're doing in our workplace, we have to be careful that the lack of success doesn't get to us or the lack of results doesn't get to us. One of the things that we as believers need to be very wary of then is that distemper. That, that heart where you feel discouraged because you've no seen people coming to Christ or you've no seen the results that you hoped for, you've no seen your family turn. Uh, Lack of progress, lack of breakthrough in yourself and others. It can truly start to negatively infect your heart, is what Burroughs is saying, to the point we inject other things into it to take it away, or we choose to quit, or change the feeling, or try and change the result. This is, this is a, a, a huge battle in the hearts of many a minister. They won't talk much about it, but it is. They don't talk much about it, ministers. Ministers don't like to talk about it because they want to stay positive all the time. Uh, I love when I sit with a brother. Uh, it's happened more so in Reformed Church, I have to be honest, I know I can give a go at them, but it's, it happens definitely more so in Reformed Church. When you just hear somebody pouring out their heart. Uh, is it Campbell, what's his name? David Campbell, I remember sitting with David, we sat with David Campbell and he shared his heart when he's just his discouragement, it was was so heartwarming and he shared his distemper I think you feel you get closer to the man and you get closer to a man's heart when he's willing to share some of his feelings and I don't mean pity party there's way too much fixing one of the reasons that we don't share our frustrations in church, I think, and people don't share their frustrations, or you want to call it frustrations, is, I think one of the reasons we don't share it often is, is predominantly because, uh, people come in and fix you. you. You share a struggle and the next thing you're just going to get the fixers fixing you too much. You know, and they, you know like Job's friends, Job can't share his struggle because they want to fix him. Uh, it stops you being vulnerable. And as I say, I don't mean pity party. For me, I've had to learn this, uh, to totally trust in God with the results. I've really struggled with this, brothers and sisters, for many years. I would say it's only in the past three, four years where I've really, I, I've started to get really free for this. So it's took that long for me. Uh, where I get, where uh, I don't get overexcited with success. I, I don't, and this, this really is music to my ears, this stuff. Because sometimes people come and say, Oh, you must be dead encouraged with that new person or that new person. And I'm like, No need is as encouraged as you. And, and, and the reason I'm no deeply encouraged is because of this. Because it is, it, and it's not that you want to be discouraged with it, and you're not like, praise the Lord. It's that you're trusting God with results, and you're only being faithful to the Word. And the problem is in the churches is, is that you're no trusting God with results and you're no faithful with the word. Therefore, you get too encouraged and too discouraged when things don't come. No, people say, Oh, I'm really encouraged by that. No, I hear young pa- pastors saying, Oh, it was dead encouraging me that and we get dark with that, and I'm like, that that's that's alarming to me because this is exactly, this is exactly what, what borrows is, this is exactly what Burroughs is saying about Isaiah. Uh, people saying it must be so encouraging when a new person or a bunch of people come, and I'm like. Honestly, this is what I want to say to them. No really. No really. You've no idea why it's no really to me anymore. But I've had to work really hard for it to be no really. And the reason I've had to work so hard for it to be no really is so that I don't have a distemper when it doesn't go really well. And then I can maintain the same discipline and the same heart and just keep on doing the same thing regardless. This is what these faithful men done. 80 years has he was at it. I'm, I, I'm neither over encouraged nor over discouraged, I'm neither encouraged nor demoralised, because I'm not in charge of that part, and, and, and Hosea was not in charge of the result, he was only responsible for what God put in his heart to tell the people, the result is irrelevant, and many of us can learn from that, some of are so discouraged, when you don't see a result, and then you see a, a chink, and you go, oh, oh, I'm dead encouraged. And then, it, then when it, it doesn't work, it, you go, oh, you get, you get discouraged again. And it's harder to then manage. I'm not saying we don't praise God for it. But we should never get overexcited. Burroughs says, it is an honour to ministers of God who meet with many difficulties and discouragements in their way, yet continue fresh and lively to the very end. How amazing is that? Continue fresh and lively to the very end. There is isn't the spirit of a man and a woman who does not let results affect them. They can remain fresh and energised. I'm no fresh and energised because I'm encouraged with good results. I'm fresh and energised because I'm neither encouraged nor discouraged with any results. Because they're irrelevant to me. My job is not to deal with results. We're not in the results business. We're in the faithful business. God's in the results business. The modern church is absolutely saturated and obsessed with results. So as soon as you meet somebody, I a mean he's in your church, I a mean he's here, I a mean he's here, I mean All weed this, weed, and it's it's you're like, Bleh. honestly you can boat where you're like It's irrelevant. It's totally irrelevant. The results are getting nothing to do with us. How I many's coming? And really what I sometimes say to folk, that's not what you're asking, and you know. You're trying to measure me to see how successful we are. No, 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 I'm not, I, yeah. Uh, and I think this is the key for all these as believers, and to be honest, one thing I think, uh, I think it pours out of this congregation uh, that we don't allow ourselves to be too discouraged. I know we have seasons, didn't we, Have moments where we're discouraged. Uh, I, I think what's happened and what's happening here is what I see in the church has in the past few years, certainly as is, is I don't see that level of discouragement anymore, but also don't see giddy excitement either. You know, there, there's just a—that's balance. Burroughs alludes to ministers who lose the zeal, lose their zeal. This is what he calls them, like soldiers who at first are forward and active in service, but afterwards come to live upon their pay. <laughs> Oh, and, and can do no service. I couldn't stop. I, I'm not saying I was laughing at that. I was aiming at it because how many ministers a day, and you're like, you know what? It's just a job to them now. It's just a job. It's a salary. It's a salary. Oh, so and because it's a salary, because it's a salary, there's no the passion. Where's the passion? It's just a salary, and then they don't want to upset people because the salary depends on it. No, and if I upset them, they're going to leave, especially in the modern church who believe tithing's a law. Because if I don't keep them happy and they're a big tither, so I need to give them praise and they're a big tither, and if I don't keep praising them, they'll no come, and then my salary's in effect. You know, all that stuff, that's that's rife. And you lose your zeal. So what happens is it just becomes a job. Or you're frightened, and you just get through the mundane. How many are so discouraged that it's nothing more than a job to them? Where they get paid at the end and it's not a labour of love or a service of the Lord. Of course, as we get older, we can't do as much as we once did. Um, I'm... In my head, I'm still about 12. In my my head, I'm 12. Sometimes I'm eight. But but my body's no, Although... I read a wee quote I read a wee thing the day, and it made me chuckle, because it's true, and it says, every man still thinks, the mark what age they are, they've got the capabilities, of being a professional athlete, and I'm like, oh, that's me. <laughs> at any given point, at any given point in my head, I watch the football, and I'm like, oh, I've still got it, no I can't even run the length of myself, but somehow I just think, I'm one of these rare breeds, who's no trained, who Disney train, who does who Disney, particularly healthy he's got chronic insomnia seeking habits but somehow I could just run a marathon (laughs) it's just a guy is that a a guy's thing women don't think like that guys still gay I'm telling you Fraser doesn't know anything about any sport ever in his life he doesn't know anything about any sport nothing but he's went to the football in the youth four times and he actually thinks he's a bit of a player it's just that mindset is is crazy, Nick's the same. Nicks what I call it football a pest <laughs> you know because he's he's no very good, but he keeps on niggling at you. You're a pest, but he and he said he's a professional athlete. Of course, when we go older, we can't do as much as we once did. however, Burrows who knows his he wasn't he always. Who isn't not always young, considering his 80-year ministry, says, It is true nature and natural abilities may decay, decay, but spiritual freshness may appear when natural abilities are decayed. Why does spiritual freshness appear? The word keeps us fresh. John MacArthur's 83, and honestly, put years on as at times. Now let me move on and say that during Isaiah's time, prior to this, Israel was in a long season of hardship. And this is where I'm going to bring this in. It was in a long season of hardship. But now they're in a long season of prosperity. Isn't it interesting that God sends his prophet to people when they were in prosperity? And not just in hardship. Isn't that interesting? Well, let's get into this. It's in this non-battling time. And Burroughs really picks up on this. Remember, he's, he's relating it to times in the church. And we'd probably relate it, I could relate it to times of day as we bring it in. And, and the church predominantly for years has no been in a battle. They've not been in a battle, that's why they were sleeping when one came. That's why when one came they weren't ready to fight. Because they've been sleeping, the church has been sleeping for years. The church of Scotland that should be a giant was sleeping for years and see when the battle came they weren't, they weren't battle hardened for it, that's what happened. So it's in the non-battle time and the time of relative peace that they started to go awry with Jeroboam being the king who led them to that sin. Because of the affliction listen to that this is amazing with the season we're in so you're getting a tasty why Hosea is writing what he's writing and why God's instructed him to write what he's writing as we walk through this. Uh, because of the affliction Israel the people were left without a helper for years during affliction, they're left without a helper, and see when you're left without a helper, you'll accept empty. I remember when America, when it was during the election, and I, this is neither whether I'm into Trump or no, because I'm no, uh, I think the man's a liability. No. But what but what people said was, is more, the majority of people in America voted in him but Trump. That was a vote, they weren't even voting for Biden, they were voting anything but Trump and I remember saying, see the minute I heard that I thought, see when you vote for anything but you're going to get everything but Yeah, if you vote for anything but you're going to get everything but and look what they've got now and what was happening in Israel at this time is they were under, before this, they were under such an affliction for years to oppression and they were left without a helper, Burrell says there was no one to protect them and keep them safe, Burrell's writes. Then comes, which here, this, this is how he says it, I'm reading the word for, then comes this Jeroboam. I love that he uses the word this, because it's, it's, it's dead condescending. Then this character comes along, that's what he's saying. He doesn't say then comes along Jeroboam, then comes along this Jeroboam, Mr. Answer to your problem. I love that. Jeroboam fought the enemies of hey, the people in Israel, for the people in Israel, okay, at the time. Israel split by this time there's Israel and there's Judah Judah was remaining faithful Israel wasn't he? Jeroboam fought the enemies and brought the people of Israel to safety and then after safety they started to prosper in peace but just because somebody brung, if he, he brought them from this pain to peace if you like didn't mean to say the guy had a heart after God he had no heart for God. He was in it for himself. And what happened was is, this peace and this prosperity started to happen in their life. It led to sin. And rebellion. And I've said this, don't presume them at free you love you. Or them that warn you don't. I think we often get it the wrong way. We think them that love us and accept us are pros. And them that warn us and challenges are against us. Many church leaders whom we challenge, we challenge the day, must think, why are you challenging me? We are prospering. We are prospering. Our church is prospering. Don't know what you're challenging me for. Our church is doing better than yours. That's what they think. Our church is doing better than yours. When was the last time you had 700 people getting baptised in one day? When was the last time you had 60 people at an altar call? When was the last time you had that? Look at the finances. Look at the buildings we've got. Look at the property we've got. They're prospering, they're prospering, they're prospering. Who are you to say? Who are you to say that this is not good? Look at the people. When I met them and they were in an awful state. And look at them now. They're glammed up. They're doing amazing. They're prospering. How can you say that's no good and that's no God? This is what Burroughs says about Jeroboam. Jeroboam might think, why does he come to correct me? And tell me my sin and wickedness and to threaten judgment. Have not I continued these 40 years, 41 years, Jeroboam was king. Have I not continued these 40 years as king and prospered? Burroughs adds, Are people in flourishing condition when they prosper most? Are people in a flourishing condition when they prosper most and overcome their enemies and have all according to their heart's desire? Even that may be a time for God to appear in wrath against them. Why does God appear and send Hosea to warn them in a time of prosperity? People might say to us, and listen, I'm not trying to totally compare here, but... People might say to us, why are you warning the prosperity church? We're doing really well, we're doing really well. Why are you warning us now when we're doing so well? It's it's the type of well they're doing. It's the problem. Burroughs adds that God does not always, this is amazing, God does not always act us, but sometimes he is pleased as here to stay till sinners are at the height of their prosperity and then comes upon them. End quote. Let me just say something here. See, when we're pursuing our flesh and our own thing, you ever been pursuing your flesh and your own thing, hoping to get your own way? And it's as if God just lets you run with it for a while, and then you hit a brick wall. And you're going, you've been pursuing that for ages. And you're just going, oh, just let it run, God's like, I'm just going to let you run your course with your own selfish desires and ambition, and your scheming and your planning to get the love that you need and the wants that you need. And we'll just let it run. Some people even come and say, what did you not know tell me sooner for? "I oh, we just letting you run with it. And then God strikes it like that and you go, and you don't go for, oh, thanks for letting me know. You just collapse because the bubbles burst. And here, God allows the people of Israel just to keep faith prospering, keep faith prospering. Oh, I keep going, what did you not know tell me sooner for? for for a very good, sometimes he does tell you sooner, but sometimes he just lets you run the course you ever thought, "Ah, I wish God told me that sooner see if he told you sooner, would you have listened, probably no. would you have got the same effect to the mistake, probably no. totally profound sometimes we get away with schemes and plans and our worldly pursuits and God allows it until we think we're going to be totally satisfied or get away with the sin or find so-called freedom in the pursuit only for it to come crashing down all at once <laughs> it is in that that we often see the fullness of rebellion it's sometimes known until that that you see the fullness of your rebellion Sometimes you stop people on their way and you go, they're not going to get to see their faults So God, I'll just let them carry on until they're at their wits end. And Isaiah, as you go through the chapters and chapter 2 and 3 unfolds, you hear this about Isaiah, he marries his harlotry wife, his harlot wife. And it says that she decked herself out, you hear me saying this scripture a lot, she decked herself out with fine garments and jewelry but me she forgot. God just lets her deck, he doesn't say to her the minute she puts on earrings, stop! I can see the neediness in you. I can see the selfishness. I see your pursuits. I see what you're doing. Just leaves her. Until she's at a place of total hopelessness. and Until everything. Until she gets to the stage of going, I'm totally satisfied without God. And at the moment she feels totally satisfied without God, that's when he pulls the wool away from you. Poof, pulls the rug away and you go, you're left with nothing. I think again Borrows makes a wonderful point when he says Hosea wasn't fooled by the outward prosperity. Here you he are, here's Hosea here's going to these people and they're doing perfect, they're doing amazing. They're, let's face it, they're doing a lot better than him. They're doing a lot better than him. They're prospering much better than him. And here he goes to them and he's no fooled by their outward prosperity one bit. I do not believe faithful people who follow God's instruction are as near impressed or fooled by people's outward prosperity as the world is. The the more mature you are in Christ, the less impressed you are by things of the world. It's so unimpressive because you see the brokenness behind that stuff, do not you? The more you mature you get, the less that stuff impresses you. Burroughs writes this. It's a sign... Of the special insight the soul has in the ways of God that can see misery under great prosperity. The prophet did not think Israel in a better condition because of their outward prosperity. He says this it's a sign that was a prophecy from God, in which, as he was saying, end quote, how much can prosperity give us a false sense of well being? See, when you've got money in off your head, you're just eccentric. See, when you've no money, you're just crazy. I've seen it over the years, and I'm like See, if you didn't have money, you'd be, you'd be classed as the most dysfunctional family in Britain. But see, because you've got money, you're just classed as different and alright. See, the believer, but the believer's like ah, you're crazy. Either way, you're off your head. <laughs> you're off your head, either way. You're off your head with money, and you're off your head without money. You're both a- absent with the God. Burroughs borough says, great prosperity raised up and harden the hearts with pride. Brothers and sisters, it's without doubt, when we speak against this prosperity, it will be met. We, pff, I'm doing amazing. Who are you to judge me? Show me your life. We are growing. We go and challenge, we challenge as elders, leaders, we challenge this prosperity church. We go, who are you to challenge us? Have you seen our new building? Who are you to ch- what, what are you talking about? Have you seen our new smoke machine? Have you seen our new light show? Have you seen this? Have you seen our car park? Have you seen how much money we've got? Have you seen how amazing our lives is? Our life's better now than ever. How can you tell me that God's knowing my life? Did you know my life before I came to this church and what it's like to know? That's the hostility that Hosea was speaking into. And when we go and speak into that stuff, it's going to get met with the exact same, (laughs) it's going to get met with the exact same thing as what he got met with. How can you say we're no blessed? Look at our life. We have prosperity. Packed ministries, stadium conferences. Burroughs reminds the reader or the listener that Isaiah was the first of the minor prophets to bring this message, this challenge to the rebellious of the church or to Israel. And as a result, it was harder to receive he was more shunned and mocked because he brought a message that nobody had brought to them before. That's what made him get shunned? It does make me think of the comfortableness of the Reformed Church. Haven't been challenged for a long time. The Reformed Church has not been challenged for a long time. It's so comfortable. I had a great chat with an old uh, Reformed guy yesterday. I love him. He's a bit of a rebel but I still love him. And he uh, and a good chat with him, he's, he's been he's been in the ministry for a long, long time. And I was on the phone to him for a while and we just blurred away. No. Oh, he always like oh. do you know what he says, he says it was interesting and I was just thinking Callum's teaching I was mentioned that Callum was teaching on Sunday night and he's like Just keep fighting, son, and I says I'm a." <laughs> but he's always like but the right way. It's happened in the church, it's just for years, it's just get safe. And then when you go and challenge it, even the Reformed Church for it's submissiveness, it's passiveness, its, it talks about stuff. It, you heard me talking about it on Sunday night, it talks about it, it preaches it. They'll even do amazing, amazing, amazing presentations on Jeremiah Burroughs that would school me. But see when it comes to the fight, they're not there, and then see when you mention, you go, We're no listening to you. You're you're that rebel, you've no been there, I know. No, it's because nobody's told you before. And it'll always be harder when you tell the truth to people that have never heard it before. You're always going to get it harder, that's why you need your thick skin and soft hearts. Some of you have got the other way about, haven't you? Uh, skinny the elephant and the heart of a lamb. Other people, people have got the other way about, they've got the skinny a lamb and the heart of an elephant. Oh, oh, oh. oh. Can he say it? You hurt me. Imagine Jeremiah. Imagine Hosea the first time he goes there and says, Listen, use it. God's judgment's coming up- upon you. No. You're either going to heaven or hell. You better hurry up and make up your mind. Judgment's coming upon you. How can you say that? We're doing great. Nobody's told us that. Have you ever heard anybody saying that to you? Nobody's told me that before. Well, we're not trying to make history here. Nobody's told me about Ford. you know what I sometimes say? You need, to, you need to get new friends. Nobody's told us that truth before. Have they? No. Well, you're hearing it today. We've been free for years. How can you say we're in bondage slavery? And back to Scripture. And they're so comfortable. And the church is comfortable. And even the Reformed Church is so comfortable. Then when somebody comes and says, Why were you not in the fight? Oh, oh. To say anything is like being harsh and unloving and unchrist centred. Who are you to bring challenge to us? Or in a personal life? I've got a lot in my life. Who are you to tell me I'm not living right? Or well? And then as Burroughs concludes verse 1 he talks of the message and warning that Hosea brings. He says that the people of Israel were like no one has told us this before. Why are you being so severe? You ever get that? Don't be so severe. Burroughs highlights that and no one else brings truth and you're the first then it's going to be met mostly with hostility. But to soften it and he and talks us will turn it into novelty. And what happens is, is, in the churches, is, because they're so frightened, they became so frightened of standing in the truth that they turn truth into novelty because they don't want to offend people. when you do that then see the seriousness in what's needed, it doesn't get landed he says this we know if a minister come with anything that seems to be new if he presents any truth to that has put a show of novelty, though it never be good or comfortable, he finds little encouragement just because, see the thing is, we bring truth and then we're devastated when we feel discouraged by it Brothers and sisters, get used to being discouraged when you bring truth. In fact, I'll give it better than that. Neither being discouraged or discouraged. It's irrelevant. How many times have you told the truth to somebody? I know we go away and analyse it if we could have done it better or no better. We're no saying that. But many times have you done it and then you're, oh, it's not been received well. And then you're devastated. And see when you keep on doing that, you end up no saying it. And before you know it, you've just been coming too comfortable. This is what Burroughs, this is what Burroughs is saying about his ear. Eight years, 80 years. No listening. Nobody's told us this before. Well, you're hearing it now. If we want to continue to serve the Lord, if we want to stand in his truth and his precepts, we must not expect the world to simply receive it with gladness. Okay, that's... You just need to come to the conclusion. The majority of people, vast majority of people, are not going to cartwheel with the gospel message. Okay. They're just not. The world has been told daily that they're good. Sam Smith has been told he's just embracing who he is. He is embracing who he is, the devil. And they're good and they're accepted. So, and the more the world embraces sin and embraces debauchery and all the stuff that goes, the more the world embraces that, and you know what's happened? The churches embrace embraced it. The Andy Stanleys, you look at the church. They've started embracing it. The Church of Scotland's embraced it. The more they embrace that, the more hostile, hostile they'll become to your message. It's making it harder for you. So we better get used to it. And we better just toughen up. Because the more they embrace that stuff, it's, it seems to be everywhere. I've it, the, the transgender. It's, 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 it seems to be you kind of get a second fear. It. It's everywhere. And the more that's embraced, it's just not about whether we love people or want people to repay. It's not about that. No, people say, you know what? The, the, some of them, they, they, they play kind of advocate, they'll go like Have oh, we seen them have not to love them like? We're not talking about that now and don't get caught up in that, that stuff because you're joining the wrong side at the wrong time for the wrong reason. And what happens is, is the more that gets embraced, the more hostile your message is. We're in 2023 at the start, we're early enough in the year to call it the start. The 24-25, it's going to become even more hostile what you are saying, what you stand on. And this is why we need to learn from guys like Hosea and men like Jeremiah Burroughs who, who draws much parallels to this. Because otherwise, do you know what will happen is? You'll end up flinching yourself and going, I better not say anything either. That's what's happening in the church. Even the Reformed church. Or the so-called evangelical church. Because it's a lack of love now, it's a lack of care, it's a lack of acceptance. Every moment, almost every day, the world is forcing acceptance and sin onto people's life and saying it's no sin. It's choice, it's freedom, it's love. And what that does is, is it just makes what we say more volatile, continually. To the point, most of churches no stomach. <laughs> they stand in the word, they stand in the truth. No Courage to Face the Backlash. I think, that, have you got the title? Great for putting the title up on it. There it's there. The Courageous Heart of Hosea. That's what we need. No bringing a... When Hosea brought the message to the people in Israel who were in all terms purposes being accepted and prospering in every area. He didn't He say, I better bring a more acceptable approach. He just says, This is what God's told me to say, and this is what I'm bringing, regardless. We, however, are no call to a life of comfort or acceptance, but wanting obedience. Therefore, let us be secure in Christ that when we do, we won't buckle under the onslaught or compromise, either in the world or in God's house when believers rebel that's chapter 1 verse 1 chapter 1 verse 1 of Isaiah I hope you hear the the spirit and the heart of Jeremiah Burroughs I cannot wait and I'm raging at him no no. it's phenomenal over the next few weeks we're going to open that up that was chapter 1 verse 1 there's no way we're going to go chapter 1 verse 2 it's just no. But I hope you hear, and I love it because it's very encouraging to me, and I hope it's encouraging to you and what we share, because you can get so bogged down with doctrines and the form theology that you're forgetting you're not getting off-piste. You're sharing into the hearts of the people of the time, and Burroughs even admits himself, you know, uh, this is probably no a systematic doctrinal masterclass here, but I'm sharing into the heart of people's lives. Uh, and when you look at that, and if you've never read for some of you young in your faith, you've no read the minor prophets, there have we taste. And it's phenomenal. Isaiah is just another name. For saviour, really. It's just another name for Christ. It's just the same. Same as Joshua. It's just another name for Savior. And that's what he did, and he brings that to the people. And it was such hostility, but for 80 years. Amazingly, but and I'll close with this. I love that Burroughs says this. And he says, it often happens, not always, but it often happens, that God allows the prophets. I know they don't exist today. We don't have prophets now. We're building the foundations of the prophets and apostles. We've had people come in here saying, I'm a prophet. And they're like, No, you're not. No, you're not. I know you think you're, yeah, but you're not. We don't have prophets today. We're a non profit organisation. <laughs> <laughs> The words built in the prophets and apostles, we don't build the foundation again. We have pastors, teachers, and evangelists. Nothing can be added to the word. Anyway, I love what Burroughs says at the end of somewhere in the chapter one he's in, chapter one, verse one. He says that Hosea, because he lived through the majority of his bad times, he says, but sometimes, often, God just allows you to outlive. And he says it, I'm paraphrasing, he just allows you to outlive the bad times. And his prophecy comes true because Hezekiah, who was a good king, and you end up outliving him. And prosperity, true godly, prosperity comes. What is true godly prosperity? Trust in the Lord with all your heart leaning, not in your own understanding. Thank you for joining us for our podcast here at Hope United Church. If you'd like to get in touch or for any more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk.